Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Edge of Comfort podcast, where we explore the adventures, perspectives, and philosophies of world travelers. I am your host, Lee Thornquist, and thank you for listening. Today, we are joined by Jeff Lister, a professional photographer and travel lover based in Vancouver. Jeff has photographed events such as college football finals, backcountry pheasant hunts, historic cathedrals, wild grizzly bears, DJ sets, solar eclipses, weddings, engagements, riots in the streets of Vancouver, and much more exciting things all around the world. Jeff runs his own photography business full-time, and he has worked with universities, companies, the press, skiers, kiteboarders, couples, and more. His photography has also taken him to many different countries, and he's produced some truly spectacular work, uh, which you can find at jefflister.com. That's G-E-O-F-F-L-I-S-T-E-R.com. Or hit at his Instagram, jefflister, spelled the same way. I highly encourage you to go take a look at some of his work during our conversation or the next chance that you can, because I think you'll understand why I'm grateful he was able to come on today and share some tips and insights from his photography career. We also get into some of the favorite places he's been or shot, uh, the different genres and gear in photography, especially around the lenses common mistakes amateur photographers make, and much, much more. Now, our conversation is definitely shorter than usual today, but don't let that deter you from listening because it is jam-packed with a lot of valuable and important information, even if all your photography consists of is your phone and Instagram. You can find full show notes and links to some of the things we reference, at edgeofcomfort.com forward slash EOCP18. That's the number one eight. Also, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts through the app or iTunes on your computer. I really enjoy reading your feedback, and it also helps new people discover these conversations. Just search for Edge of Comfort in podcasts, click on ratings and reviews, and then write a review. If you need a step-by-step guide on how to do this, just go to edgeofcomfort.com forward slash podcast dash review. Make sure to stick around at the end of the episode for the question of the episode. And as always, shoot me an email at lee.t at edgeofcomfort.com if you have any questions or just want to say hello. Thank you so much to Jeff for sharing so much today. Thank you for listening, and let's go. Good morning. What's all the commotion? Wow. Are banana fish big? Same, same, but different. 
If I can't scuba, then what's this all been about? Welcome to the Edge of Comfort podcast with your host, Lee Thornquist. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, Jeff. So glad to have you on today. How's everything going up in Vancouver? I'm doing well there. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. I was actually uh, looking the other day through some photos of Tiger Leaping Gorge uh, in China, which is where I believe we met. And uh, I was just thinking back to that. And I was like, man, I got to get you on the podcast and talk to you about some photography stuff. Oh, well, it was a great time out there. I uh, really enjoyed China this year, and uh, I'm definitely planning the next trip back. Do you think you'd go back to the Yunnan area or try to go somewhere else? I think I'd probably head um, either to the far west, the Yugar area, or the um, or maybe to uh, areas a little bit east, maybe even see the eastern side or southern side of Yunnan because I didn't get to see a lot of that. Um, but yeah, I can definitely see myself back in sort of south, southwestern China for sure. Okay. Yeah, it's a cool area. I mean, what you just did the Tiger Leaping Gorge in like Kunming area, right? Uh, yeah, we went up a little bit. Uh, we basically did the sort of west side of, of the Yunnan province. And, you know, we went to a few different cities. Um, we just didn't have the opportunity or time to get down to the south, go east, you know, basically heading all the other directions. And, you know, as you know, China is such a big country, even and uh, Yunnan is such a large province. You now, thoroughly exploring it is like thoroughly exploring the U.S. It doesn't take just one trip. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so I got to ask about this one picture I saw of yours. Because it looked like something out of like a movie or like a war scene almost. Uh, it's on your website under press, the press tab, and it's got some kid. I don't know if he's cheering or yelling, but he's in front of what looks like a burning car. Can it, oh, yeah. I'm sure you remember this photo. Can you tell me what is going on in this? Yeah. So uh, Vancouver is. Uh, Canadian city, obviously, and we have a penchant for getting a little too excited about hockey. Uh, the Stanley Cup finals uh, aren't something the uh, Canucks, the local hockey team, makes very often, but they've made it twice in the last 20-something years, once in 1994 and once in, oh, I think it was 2011, and both times... Uh, losing in game seven final game of the series of the finals and uh both times ended in a riot um so i wasn't around really for the 1994 but um had traveled down to watch the final game with my friends along with about two hundred thousand other uh folks and yeah that uh event did not go well in terms of keeping the peace when the team lost. And uh, this car was about maybe about 50 or 60 meters away from where I was just watching the game. And yeah, people just went a little weird and it was sort of Facebook had been around for a while, but I don't think people realized sort of the consequences of social media yet. Um, 
and people were just like incredibly reckless. Uh, they ended up using social media photos and social media posts to prosecute almost a hundred people. Um, because yeah, people were lighting cars on fire, looting buildings, looting shops, um, vandalizing things. Um, so this photo ended up on the front cover of the local newspaper in the coverage section because yeah, it was just a, it was just kind of a weird, wild thing that happened. So for that, did you bring your camera out for that? Like with the plan to capture people, whether they were celebrating or rioting, like when you are going to some, some sort of event like that is, is photography on your mind kind of? If that makes sense. Uh, it depends. It absolutely used to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, I trained as a photojournalist and at this time I was working for a student newspaper and it was definitely, uh, top of mind at the time, especially around events. Um, my priorities have sort of changed over the last seven years. So my camera stays in my bag more at these kind of events, um, or doesn't come with me at all. Um, but it definitely was a huge priority for me. And at the time, it, you know, it paid dividends given where I wanted to take my career. My career has sort of taken a different trajectory now. Um, and I find that sometimes a camera can get in the way of, get in the way of enjoying myself. Um, so I, I'm leaving the camera at home more and more, uh, even when traveling. That is actually a really interesting point that I actually had written down that I wanted to discuss um, about kind of getting in the way of enjoying the moment. Um, so yeah, you know, when you're, especially when you're traveling or going somewhere with friends and kind of trying to be present and enjoy all everything that comes with, do you feel like focusing on photography and your camera and your gear, does that take away from that a little bit? Like when did that shift happen for you and like, how have you made that a point in your travels or just your daily life? Yeah, I think absolutely. A camera changes any situation it, it um, arrives at, especially today. People are far more aware of cameras, of their personal presence in media, young people. Um, and, um, and that really can change an experience. I think... There's huge value in leaving the camera at home. And don't get me wrong, I love photography. It's something I'm really passionate about. And I often choose to just spend a day wandering around the city with my camera um, by myself. It's not even, you know, it's, 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 it itself is the experience taking photos. But I'm also, you know, moving towards more conceptual photography that requires a lot more forethought uh, it's not just based on capturing what is there but on creating moments and that process absolutely gets in the way of enjoying a moment and so for me leaving my camera at home sort of removes me from my day-to-day -day. and that's another factor I am a full-time professional photographer this is what I do for a living um, I love it. I get to create images. I get to talk with interesting people. I get to do really interesting things as part of my job. That said, 
you know, I shoot hundreds of thousands of images a year. And sometimes it's nice when I go on vacation to take a break from that. For other people, going on vacation is the, the only time they go and take photography. It's, it, that is the break from them going to take photos. So I think it just really depends on who you are and what kind of experience you're looking for. But I think it is important to recognize that a camera changes that experience. Not always necessarily in a bad way, but it absolutely changes the experience. So how you talked a little bit about how photography just for you has changed in your career. Could you kind of tell me more about your journey to where you are now? Like, when did you first start photography and like really get serious about it and decide this is something I'm going to make a career out of? Yeah, I started taking photos in 2006. I was in high school. Uh, It was just a fun hobby for me. Um, And I realized quickly that camera equipment was quite expensive um, and that I wanted to be able to pay for it and started shooting little things for, you know, 50 bucks, hundred dollars, you know, and eventually a wedding photographer took a leap of faith and hired me as a, an assistant. Um, and I sort of just slowly built up my career from there when I was in college. And I think, you know, this is a huge influencing factor for me. I had the opportunity to work for the student newspaper, uh, at my school, which is a pretty big operation. And, um, throughout the sort of four years I spent four or five years, really, I spent shooting with the newspaper. I developed a portfolio, um, and a skill set around photojournalism. That's just been incredibly invaluable. Photojournalism really encompasses almost every style of photography, especially in my role as a photo editor. I was often shooting everything from still life to riots, to sports, to portraits, um, really very little was out of bounds in terms of um, style besides, you know, some of the ethical rules around photojournalism. Um, And that really led me to um, develop my work, develop my style and create a lot of imagery and practice. And I mean, at the end of the day, the fastest way to get better at something is to practice it a lot. Um, So did that through college, came out the other side, had no clue what to do with myself. I did a marketing degree, interest in branding, but not really an interest in doing the nine to five. And so I sort of was working part time, um, selling ads, pushing boxes, doing the things I needed to do while I sort of started up my photography career and eventually just sort of one by one cut away the things that um, weren't photography. And eventually that's all I was doing. Uh, was photography so and that's what I do now so making that switch like full-time what were some of the things going through your head like clearly you had good training and experience in it from high school and college and some credibility associated with that but like when you decided okay I'm I'm doing this full-time I'm not gonna try to make side money with advertising or anything like what was going through your head and what were some of the concerns you were facing? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is about time management. What I do is I turn my time into money. I'm a service provider. A huge proportion of our economy is turning time into money. Basically everyone who works as an employee turns their time into money, but increasingly our economy is based on doing just that um, we're not a manufacturing society anymore. So for me, the biggest influence was just sort of 
uh, about managing my time and uh, taking, you know, the, the risks I really took were um, just cutting out those, you know, that part-time work, um, stopping or choosing not to do certain types of gig work that were helping to pay my bills to allow me to focus on photography. And I didn't do that casually. I did that. I always have done that at a point where losing that income means losing the money I would save for that year instead of not being able to pay my rent. Um, so for me, you know, choosing to, and, and the thing is, is every time I've chosen to cut something out of my life, I've managed to do it at a time where, um, cutting out, you know, those 10 hours or 20 hours I was spending on another venture meant I could spend more time on photography, which was more lucrative and more personally satisfying. Do you have any examples of like one or two of those things that you cut out that, like, were there any of those that were particularly you enjoyed doing that were tougher to decide, okay, I actually do need to cut this out? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, right now I'm even facing that within different genres of photography. Um, but, uh, some jobs were easy to cut. I hated selling advertising. Um, I, you know, that was just something I wanted to stop doing as soon as I could do it. Um, the next job that I cut was I used to, work as a general technician, um, as a, at, at the major arena and convention center. So that was putting together trusts, wiring, lighting, installing sort of large scale convention shows and being one of the many people on the ground installing every like arena rock show that came through Vancouver. That job was easier to cut. It was gig based work. Um, it was hard work and while it paid a great wage, um, it was something that, um, definitely took away time in my week and, and was physically taxing and, and mentally taxing in some levels. So cutting that away was, it took some thinking. Um, but this year I've definitely cut back on something that I do enjoy. Um, I work with bands as a sound engineer um, you know, basically being that guy that sits at the back of the room and makes sure that everyone sounds great. And I've definitely done less of that work. That, and that's almost solely because I've become busier with photography and just have not had time or have had conflicts. Um, and from a financial perspective, um, photography almost always trumps, um, that kind of work. It's not super lucrative, um, but it is really interesting. It's really fun to be part of that scene um, and to work in the music industry. So that one has definitely been a tougher decision. Um, but I still try and keep my feet wet a little bit with that. I still try and mix a, a few times a year to keep keep current on what's going on and to keep my ear in the game. Um, but yeah, this year has even meant making choices in my own photography business. Um, I've been taking fewer small events um, and fewer smaller projects in favor of larger scale work. Um, and that's interesting. Um, I definitely like the larger scale work more, but 
um, it means making choices. And that's the thing in life is life is about choices at the end of the day. You just can't do everything. Um, you know, even pursuing photography has meant and pursuing a career mean, usually means stepping back away from traveling. Um, I travel differently than I used to. I used to travel in it like at least a month long trip. And now a three week trip is a long time for me. Um, I'm still traveling a lot. The plus side of having a career is having, you know, a good finances. And if you choose to manage those in a way that prioritizes travel, um, you can travel a decent amount still, but going away for six months on the road at a time is incredibly disruptive to most careers. And, um, unless you can really work on the road, um, you know, choosing a career is something that, uh, is going to take away from travel and that's a life choice at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And with those choices, and I know earlier you mentioned how there's many different genres of photography, how have you made your choices on which areas of those to focus on and try to pursue and to make something you can either do for fun or something you can make income from? Yeah, I think it's um, super helpful to um, understand the business of photography and especially to understand how it's changed, um, where money is being spent and where it's not being spent today. Um, for example, you know, certain genres of photography have completely collapsed. Um, photojournalism is one of those. I came out of school looking for a photojournalism role just as most of Canada and a large percentage of the United States was laying off all of their photographers. Choosing a job in photojournalism was going to be an incredibly difficult path financially, something that I still do occasionally, but it's certainly not something that pays my bills and it pays very few photographers bills it's mostly been a story of cutbacks um, and the large percentage of my friends who pursued photojournalism initially or were in the photojournalism industry as i was looking to enter it um, no longer are uh, or derive a significant proportion of their income from non-photojournalism um, related industries. So part of it is, you know, if you want to make a living, you got to know where the money is, right? At the same time, other industries have grown. Um, I've do, I've done a lot of wedding photography over the last few years. It's been an incredibly lucrative industry and the top of the market has absolutely skyrocketed. The number of people who want quality wedding photography has grown massively. And, the quality of the genre as a whole has increased dramatically. It's a super competitive industry, but it's absolutely a place where photographers are finding success. Another area that has grown massively is there's been a huge demand growth, not for print photography, but for online resources. And while companies have access to stock photography that is incredibly cheap, that's another market that has completely collapsed. Um, most companies get to a point where stock photography doesn't cut it anymore. Um, and those companies want custom imagery that reflects their own business and are willing to pay um, sort of that top 
commercial dollar to to acquire top commercial imagery that really represents their brand positively. Um, so that's been a huge area of growth in my business. Um, and that looks like a lot of different things. I do a lot of photos with people um, or more conceptual work with people. Um, that's not something you can replicate with stock photography. You can't go out onto the internet and get a picture of your CEO or a picture of the people in your company or a picture of people wearing your product or using your product on the internet. You need to have that shot for you. Same with, uh, food photography, you know, online presence for, uh, restaurants has become incredibly important. And those, um, companies are willing to pay good money or at least a sustainable living um, having their food photographed. It's not something I personally pursue, but I know it's a huge growth part of the industry. So that's sort of commercial photography, things that can't be replicated um, over and over and over again on the internet. There are absolutely still viable paths. Um, in terms of photography I do for fun, Oftentimes, that's reflected in the kinds of photography that aren't lucrative, um, but that I really enjoy. Sports photography is is one of those fields. The market for sports photography is incredibly competitive, um, especially in the action sports world, and uh, really um, based on access. You know, it doesn't matter if you need access to the sidelines of an NHL game or if you need access to um, a professional skier who is wearing next year's uh, equipment. Um, those are images that are saleable versus an amateur sports game or a pro-am skier who isn't wearing the latest and greatest. As much as those can be beautiful images, um, they're not images that have a lot of value outside of personal enjoyment. So, you know, it, it all really depends on what industry you're in, what you're looking for, but there's basically, you know, it just depends on what you do at the end of the day. Travel is another area where there's sort of simultaneously this massive shrinkage. Um, you really, it's really hard to be just a travel photographer nowadays, but there's also massive growth aspects to the industry like, uh, like Instagram, like the sort of influencer lifestyle. Um, that just didn't exist before, like the online blogger, right? Um, those weren't aspects of the industry that existed before, uh, you know, 2014. So, you know, it's about staying on top of the market and that's really what's important. Um, and, you know, ideally staying ahead of the market and understanding what people want before they want it, because that's where you see people having real success. So, I w you mentioned the sports photography, and I saw some of your photos uh, were of people kiteboarding and people skiing, and uh, I don't understand how you got some of those angles and shots. Like for the kiteboarding, it looked like your camera was like an inch above the water. Like how are you making sure that you get these incredibly, I imagine, difficult shots and also getting them with the right lighting and focus and exposure. and I, like, How are you able to do that at such a high level? Is that just a lot of practice? or? Yeah, I think 10 years of uh, experience really helps. Um, it is 
hugely about access in sports photography. Um, if you can't be on the sideline or you can't be on the mountain, you can't take the photo. So in action sports, access is usually about being able to ski at the level that your subjects ski. Uh, maybe not at the level, but you know, to be able to access the same level of terrain. Um, so I'm, I'm quite a good skier. I'm not as good as my subjects, people who I'm photographing, but I can absolutely get to the places they're going. Um, part of that is network too. You got to know people who are worth photographing. Um, you know, you have to be quite a good skier to make it look good on camera. Um, cameras really, I think, uh, don't show speed very well, either in video or photos. So the speed that these guys are skiing these runs at is just incredible. Um, you know, same with mountain biking photography, you see, uh, professional mountain bikers, um, on film and you're like, okay, yeah, that's like something you can do. Uh, but when you see them in person, you're like, holy crap, it's just a whole other level. They're riding for film at a speed that is maniacal. Um, things like kiteboarding, I mean, um, I think kiteboarding is a little easier or more accessible to shoot. But, you know, knowing the angles, knowing the time of day, I only ever took my camera out in that particular location. After 5 p.m., I only shot till 615, 6.30. Um, and then, yeah, just getting experimental. I mean, shooting a lot of frames, shooting a lot of people, um, experimenting with exposure and knowing, you know, finding out that, like, you know, all those shots were shot maybe two stops below what your camera would have shot them at, you know, um, and then brought up later in post. Um, so there's lots of tricks that we use, but you know, it's not just one thing. I think if there's one thing, I would say it's access. You're far more likely to take these photos if you're there. Um, if you're not there, you're definitely not going to take a good photo. Where are some of the other places other than like these well, one, where was the kiteboarding, actually? Where were those taken? Uh, that series of photos was taken in northern Colombia, um, kind of a place called Cabo de la Vila. Um, and it was incredible, but also like a day's journey on the back of 4 by 4s to get to. <laughs> um, and with really few things to do in the area besides kiteboarding. Um, but really gorgeous, amazing wind, um, every day, flat water, just incredible. And the talent of the locals was crazy. These kids basically kiteboard every single day. They've been doing it for seven or eight years now since the school showed up and yeah, like their talent is really crazy. So that was there. And yeah, most of the mountain stuff has been shot in and around, um, British Columbia. So okay. near Whistler, um, or sort of up and down the sea to sky area. Okay. So other than those two activities, where are some of the other places or experiences that photography has taken you that kind of are really memorable or stand out in your mind? I think the most memorable place that I've gone, especially cause it's a place I would not have gone without, um, photography is, the Great Bear Rainforest, it's sort of central northern coast of British Columbia. It's an incredibly beautiful area. 
It's home to, it's one of the only places in the world, it is in fact the only place in the world where you can see spirit bears, which are sort of a white variant of the black bear around here. Um, so you get these beautiful photos of a white bear on a green forest. I haven't been lucky enough to see one yet, but I'm working on it. Um, but yeah, going up into the Great Bear Rainforest, which is you know one of the best um, areas in certainly in British Columbia, but I would say North America, uh, is just incredible. It's a kind of place. It's the kind of place and the kind of park where you might not see other groups in a day uh, around it. It's very inaccessible. You really do need a boat to see it. Um, flights are expensive. Everything is expensive to go there. But once you're there, it's just an unbelievable experience. And I'd say the same about Haida Gwaii, uh, which is just sort of off the coast from the Great Bear Rainforest. It's another area that is undescribably beautiful. The First Nations in the area have done an amazing job of preserving their culture and preserving their heritage. Um, and that heritage and that natural beauty is really on display in the area. You have a bad day. On a bad day, you see like two different species of whales and uh, like um, four or five different eagles. And that's a bad day. On a good day, you know, you're going to see whales, bears, eagles um sea lions seals like you know the the uh, variation is sort of almost endless that sounds incredible um is, is there anywhere that is like i guess a bucket list place for you or a place that you are planning on going to soon that you're really excited about that maybe you haven't been to yet um, I mean, the list is long when it comes to <laughs> places I really want to go. I think uh, maybe I'll give you two. Um, skiing in northern Japan has been a dream for a few years, and I'm uh, happy to be ticking that one off later this year. Uh, it snows like 10, they don't even measure, they measure it in meters there, but most of their mountains snow over 10 meters, so over 33 feet of snow per year. Um, it's called locally, people call it Japauary, um, cause it's <laughs> January is the, sort of one of the best months for it. Um, it's really incredible and I'm ex really excited to go there at the end of January this year. Um, I think the country I most want to go to that's sort of the most exotic is Iran, um, especially for Americans. Um, Iran is gorgeous it is one of the looking at the photography and looking at the natural beauty in iran it is just spectacular it is on the level absolutely on the level of southern china it's very um varied you have everything from beaches and desert to um to glacier tip mountains uh within one place uh well within one country and everything i've been told about um, going to Iran is just incredibly welcoming. The people are incredibly hosp hospitable. It is a country that uh, whose culture emphasizes hospitality. You'll only ever be offered the best of what someone has to offer. And I really want to experience that culture and that country before things really open up and tourism really takes off there. Because I think 
you know, if our world can figure out its conflicts, um, Iran will be one of the top destinations uh, because it is just so, so beautiful. I've actually heard multiple people talk about Iran and how much they loved it. So that's, it's good to hear another person say it's like supposed to be incredible. Um, but yeah, one of those guys, I actually had him on my podcast. He biked through there and just was like, it was one of the most unbelievable country and people I've ever encountered. So that's pretty cool. I, I need to look up more on their landscape and, and some of the things and can go photograph, but so. absolutely man it's just yeah everyone i've talked to just talks about how beautiful it is and how kind the people are and that's my kind of place <laughs> so switching gears a little bit um what are some of the most common mistakes you see whether like a beginning or a somewhat amateur photographer commit um i think the biggest mistakes that people make in photography um, when they're starting out are one people go and buy a camera they just go to the store and they buy a camera and they buy a basic DSLR with a basic kit lens and as a photographer I just go "Ooh, that money could be so much better spent um, used gear is such a good deal um, Oftentimes, you can get much better, much more professional, much more rugged equipment um, on the used market than you can copying uh, and new from the store. The other thing I think is a huge mistake for new photographers is going out and buying a wide-range kit lens. Uh, we call them kit lenses. Most commonly, they're an 18 to 55 or a 18 to 300 or some like large range zoom lens that's quite light, usually made of plastic, um, quite affordable. And the big problem is that these lenses, one, don't teach you good photography habits and two, aren't particularly good quality in the first place. Um, on the first point, um, photography, a lot of it is about understanding what is the right tool for the job and understanding which lens or which focal length is the right tool for the job is hard to understand with a zoom lens. Zoom lens basically allows you to park your feet and compose with your zoom. In reality, composition matter, like what, how you choose to compose something really, ma really matter. Uh, wow. Okay, we're going to have to cut that. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, it's fine. Yeah. Okay, I'll just, I'll just start again <laughs> from the previous point. So, yeah, on that first – I'm just going to put a pause in because it's hard <laughs> to edit otherwise. You're fine. We'll, we'll keep this, man. It doesn't need to be perfect. Um, anyways, yeah, when it comes to f composing a photo, having a fixed lens that forces you to make – choices with your feet or make choices with your how you choose to compose the photo teaches you a lot more about how photography works i really really encourage people who are starting out in photography to buy prime lenses or fixed focal length lenses that don't zoom one dollar for dollar you're going to get a lens that's much better quality 
Um, and two, it's going to teach you good habits with your photography. Um, I often encourage people to buy like a 50 millimeter lens or a 35 millimeter lens or a 24 millimeter lens. Those are sort of the, the stalwarts of photography um, that have lasted a long time, have been focal lengths that are used by every photographer. Um, and choose one or choose two and then learn the, that lens. Learn how to take a picture with that lens. I can travel to any country in the world with one lens and have a great time and take great photos. Doesn't matter what that lens is. Fixed, no zoom. Will I miss certain photos? Yes, absolutely. If you have one lens and it's a 50 millimeter, you're going to take some cool portraits and be able to isolate subjects and really choose what your frame is. But it is not going to be possible to take that ultra wide horseshoe bend photo. Um, and vice versa, you have that ultra wide lens, it's going to box you in, you know, if you're in a city, you're going to get everything, whether you want it or not, you want those power lines in the photo too bad, they're going to be in the photo, you have an ultra wide lens. Um, as people look at a zoom, it's like, well, why don't I just get a zoom? Then I don't have to choose. And again, I go back to that one. It teaches you bad habits Two, a good zoom costs two grand. That's how much I will spend on the zoom lens, not 200 bucks. And the, that quality does matter. Whereas for 200 bucks, you can get a prime lens that's going to produce images that you can use later on. And you're just going to become a better photographer shooting prime lenses when you're starting out. And then once you kind of know what you're doing, a zoom lens is a great tool. Um, the other benefit of prime lenses, they're often smaller and lighter. When I'm traveling, I'm always thinking about traveling smaller and lighter. Um, but yeah, I think you know buying used equipment and um, choosing lenses uh, carefully are two things that people could do better. In terms of technique, I really think that um, people who are starting out uh, should learn to shoot their camera in a manual setting, learn what all those different settings do and how they affect your image. If you have set the camera in auto, you'll never learn uh, those techniques that allow you to bring your photography to the next level. And you're going to be left wondering why your photos are blurry, why your photos uh, have no depth of field or have too much depth of field. You're never going to figure out how to isolate a subject. You're never going to figure out why your photos are noisy or have too much grain. Um, those are all settings on your camera and all decisions you should be making, not the camera. I've so I've heard other people um, back to your lens a little bit. Other photographers say overall a lens is more important than the body of a camera. Is that something? Absolutely. So you'd agree with that? Like why? I guess why is that? Could you elaborate on why the lenses are so important? Yeah, good glass matters so much more because if you can have the best camera in the world, but if you put a cheap piece of glass in front of it you're not going to be using the full that camera to its full potential lenses have at the end of the day a resolving power basically they have an ability the lens has you know if you want to break it down to sort of an analogy the lens has a certain number of megapixels and if you exceed those and we call that resolving power and we use different measurements but at the end of the day it's very equivalent to having more or less megapixels 
a lens that if you have a lens that only has can resolve at sort of a five to 10 megapixel level and you have a 20 megapixel camera or a 10 megapixel camera, it doesn't matter that you have a 20 meg, 10 megapixel camera or a 20 megapixel camera, you have a shitty lens and it's going to affect your photography. Um, I don't think the bat body doesn't matter at all. Um, but I think the things that matter are different than most people think. For example, megapixels, not important unless you're um, printing on a billboard. Definitely not important if you're just going to post to Instagram. Um, dynamic range, however, incredibly important. Um, and not a statistic that is usually advertised on cameras. It's something you have to go look up. So I would definitely encourage people to focus on different things and absolutely spend all your money on lenses before you start spending money on expensive cameras. Are there any resources or websites or places that you will frequently check before buying a camera or a lens or trying to research certain aspects and details of the equipment you're buying? Yeah. I mean, I follow because I'm sort of at the stage now where I, understand the basics of most of what's going on in the camera industry i tend to be more of a follow along kind of person for someone like me i've i tend to follow um various rumors websites canon rumors fuji rumors nikon rumors um they're all very biased towards their own brand but they give you a good idea of what's happening with those different camera brands um in terms of comparables i tend to look to photographers who i respect and to garner their opinions rather than looking for a crowdsourced, you know, sort of amateur level opinion. Um, different people are looking for different things in a camera and finding a photographer who you like and whose style or subject matter is similar to yours and getting their opinion is so much more valuable than getting the opinion of like the internet mass because, what you do is not one size fits all and your needs are not one size fits all. My needs aren't one size fits all. I chose, I choose to shoot a camera that's lighter, less intimidating to a subject and, um, doesn't have the same, uh, set of lenses as a lot of people who are just chasing statistics. Um, and for me, that's the right decision. Um, for other people, they need the camera with the highest technical specifications that they can possibly afford um, because that's their genre or that's their skill. That's, that's what they need for their skill set. Um, even between different cameras, like, you know, one camera might be better at sports, one camera is better at landscapes, one camera's better at shooting in the dark one camera is better at shooting in the dark but the other camera has better autofocus when shooting in the dark um so you know it really depends on what you're shooting and what you're doing because um yeah like as i said photography is not a one size fits all application and while a lot of cameras can do the same things cameras tend to do one camera cameras and camera brands even tend to do one thing or emphasize one thing over another and you know what what you want and what that camera brand offers might not be the same thing um so say don't 
because the crowd's wrong a lot. Um, and uh, look to people who are doing the same thing as you. Um, for example, you you know you personally, if you wanted to get into vlogging, I'd be like, go get a Canon 6D Mark II because the autofocus is amazing. I would not tell the same thing to a sports photographer. I would tell a totally different story to a portrait photographer. Um, and I would tell a totally different story to a commercial photographer. They all have different needs and um, different budgets too. All right. I know we are coming up kind of on our time here, so ask one more question. We can kind of wrap this up. Um, is there any advice that you've gotten in your career or in your work that really stands out in your mind as being really valuable and really helpful to you that you'd like to pass forward? You know, one piece of advice is so hard to pin down. I've gotten a lot of advice from a lot of people. Um, but, you know, it really boils down to two things. One, um, you are not everybody. And so what they meant by that was you are yourself and you have your own goals and expectations and priorities in life. Um, you don't have to do what everybody else is doing and you don't have to do what the internet is doing and you don't have to do what things are around you at the end of the day, do what fulfills you, not necessarily what makes you happy, but do what fulfills you as a person. Um, and I think that that's been incredibly invaluable, uh, advice for me because, um, you know, there's just so many options out there and so many different things you can pursue and only so much time and choosing what you want in life is really important and not everything. Everybody wants the same thing. Some people want money. Some people want family. Some people want travel and experience. Some people want, um, to be cozy and comfortable and some people want, you know, relationship and friendships and, you know, even within one of those areas, you could want totally different things. You could want, even within experience, what experience is valuable to you could range from sitting on a train, traversing across Russia with a good book to wild festivals in the desert to, um, you know, luxury experiences in Europe. You know, those aren't probably going to be the same people doing all of those things. Um, and you don't have to do all of them. You just have to pursue the ones, things that you like. You do have to figure out what you like. That's, that's a priority. But, um, once you sort of start figuring out what you like, pursue that, don't pursue what everyone tells you to do. Love it. Yeah. And to figure out what it is you like, you do kind of have to add a variety and do some luxury stuff, do some, more rugged backpacking and kind of get a sense of, uh, that isn't my style. And <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's totally, you know, especially when you're younger, even when you get older, you should always mix it up every once in a while. But at some point you're going to start eliminating things that really don't fulfill you. There are going to be experiences that just don't matter as much to you. You might even enjoy those experiences, but at the end of the day, you're, most people have to prioritize. Um, very few of us in the world 
get to have everything. Um, and even those people have to make choices. So, you know, learning what you value, I think is so important. And then pursuing that instead of pursuing what the world tells you, you should value. I think that's really important. I would agree. That's good advice. Um, all right. Final question. And then, uh, wrap this up. Um, is there anything that I have not asked or that we haven't discussed today that you'd want to bring up or talk about or final word to listeners? No, I think that's about it. I mean, other than that, other than pursuing what you love, figuring out what you love and pursuing that, you know, always travel with a lighter backpack, just leave things at home. (laughs) Yes, definitely pack light. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Hey, this has been awesome. This is definitely uh, one of my shorter ones, but short and sweet. And I think we were able to cover a lot. So really appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing some wisdom and tips for all of us aspiring photographers. So absolutely. uh, Thank you so much. Oh, and um, where can people find you? I know you have Instagram and your own website. What are the best way to reach out to you or look at your work? All the same thing. All the same thing. It's G-E-O-F-F. L-I-S-T-E-R on Twitter and it's the same dot com and I'm the same on Instagram and every other platform. That's good branding right there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, hey, thank you so much and uh, thank you everyone for listening and until next time. Thank you. Hey everyone, Lee here again real quick with the question of the episode, which is, where or what is one of your favorite things you've ever photographed while traveling? Head to edgeofcomfort.com forward slash EOCP18, that's the number 18, and leave your answer or a link to your picture in the comment section at the bottom of the post. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to checking out your answers. Cheers. Cheers.